the Mac Observer's Mac Geek Gab, episode 476, for Sunday, November 24th, 2013. And welcome to the Mac Observer's Mac Geek Up, the show where you send in questions, tips, cool stuff found, and all that great stuff. We answer your questions. We share your tips. We share cool stuff found. We talk about all kinds of great things. And together, the goal is that we all learn quite a bit about uh, technology, Apple products, Mac, OS ten, iOS here in Durham, New Hampshire. Windy, breezy, cold, but sunny Durham, New Hampshire. I'm Dave Hamilton. And here in... Pretty much the same <laughs> what he said, uh, but in Fairfield, Connecticut, this is John F. Braun. It is John F. Braun. How are you doing, John F. Braun? Staying warm. That's the idea. Yeah. Yeah. And staying cool. Yeah. Because you are, you are, you are one cool cat, my friend. Right? I don't know if I'm more a cat or a dog person. Oh, that's interesting. Have you ever had either? I'm I'm more a rat person. <laughs> well, I know that. Yes, yes, naturally. But have you ever had a cat or a dog? Uh, when I was younger, we had a. We you had did. A dog. Oh, I didn't realize that. I don't think I ever knew you when you had a dog. But uh, but I didn't know you when you were a youngster. Although although that that it, I didn't know you when you were a child. Um, youngster is a distinction that may still apply. Right. Yes, mm-hmm. that's right. Benjamin wrote in and said, uh, I was searching around the library folder earlier, John, and noticed the home library synced preferences folder. And inside it was the com.apple.wifi.wifi keychain proxy.plist. This seems to have some of the keys for the secured Wi-Fi networks that I've connected to. I noticed that recently my iPhone has started to connect to Wi-Fi networks that I have only connected to previously with my computer. I think that the files in this folder sync with iCloud. The file finder.plist just has some of the tags, but they are the tags that I have on, on documents stored in iCloud. The safari.plist appears to be the iCloud tabs storage, and icbaccountsd.plist appears to be email, etc., Facebook, Twitter, Vimeo, and other accounts that the internet preference pane will let you log into. I feel like this folder might become useful in uh, a coming troubleshooting scenario. Thank you, Ben. Uh, that or Benjamin, sorry. Uh, that's uh, I had not known about this folder before, and I agree a hundred percent that this will be no doubt be a valuable troubleshooting uh, resource, or just even the knowledge of this folder. So yeah, it's just in your home folder in library synced preferences is the name of the folder with all this juicy stuff in it. I like huh. it, John, and it's there on. Uh, it, it's not a Mavericks thing. It, it, I, I'm finding this oh, on my okay. I'm finding this on my uh, 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 mountain lion machine and I have a preference in there dated June 17th. Uh, so so this has been around a while. This is very interesting. Yeah. I don't see it. But then on my mini, which is running mountain lion, I don't think I actually I this machine is always hardwired. So I don't think I've ever used it to connect by Wi-Fi. Yeah. But do you have the synced preferences folder? Yes. Okay. And, that's, that's uh, what I'm saying. Yeah. I, I is yeah. The, yeah. So we've got the sync preferences thing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 
Yeah, and very they're current. Yeah, I see com.apple.safari.plist, then com.apple.syncpreferences.plist, and those are current as of minutes ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I agree with Benjamin's assessment that this will be, uh, there, there will come a time, John, when we're looking at a question and, and one of us remembers, hey, what was that thing? There's a folder. Because if one of these files gets corrupted, uh, you know, that's that it's now corrupted everywhere. This reminds me of like when my son had that issue where his brand new iPod touch, uh, which he did not restore from a backup started crashing like crazy. And we realized that it was one of these things that iCloud was syncing back to his device. So, uh, so yeah, very, very interesting. This is, uh, it's good. Thank you. Good stuff. I like it, John. All right. Where are we here? We have uh, we have uh, we have Michael who wrote in yet another little little tip. Cool stuff found something. I don't know what we'll call it. It's a tip. He says, uh, I have uh, in response to in show 474, I mentioned the case that I was using with my my iPhone that has that lets me hold a couple credit cards. He says, I've used the Casemate ID credit card case, which I think is similar to the spec one you mentioned on the show. excuse me. Uh, I have switched to the 12 South book book for my iPhone five as my everyday case. It holds my driver's license plus three credit cards and some cash. I find it incredibly convenient to have my phone and my wallet together. I previously used the 12 South surface pad for my iPhone five, which is a minimal leather case that is almost like no case at all. I was turned on to the company by Adam Christensen of MacCast, Of course, uh, the cases are not cheap, but are good quality and feel nice in your hand, especially after the leather breaks in a bit. Thought I'd mention this since even though the, this case is great and has replaced my wallet, I'm still looking for a case that adds no thickness to my beautiful iPhone, but holds everything I need and magically protects my phone from mishaps. Maybe the coin and a good case will solve this once and for all. Uh, if not, uh, he says uh, thanks. And then on he goes. Yeah. I'm with you. In fact, we had a we had a lengthy pre-show discussion today about coin, which for those of you who don't know, is uh, a new thing that hopefully will ship uh, sometime, you know, within the next year uh, that allows you to load a bunch of credit cards onto one credit card sized and thickness device that uh, that you can then select which card you want it to be and swipe away and it goes. So uh, it'll be interesting to see as all this develops. But but yeah, these these cases um these are good. I like the 12 South cases. Um, I'm curious how I would feel about having a fold over case on my iPhone. It is like having a little notebook with your iPhone in the middle of it. Um, but uh, but maybe now that I'm I I'm on with the concept of having credit cards and and my license and stuff with my phone. Maybe maybe I should revisit this 12 South book book thing, John, because it, it, might, it might be the magic solution because I can't carry cash with my phone right now. Not easily anyway. Hello? Still right. with me, John? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I, I, I didn't have much to add to that. All right. Yeah, I, I still carry cash. Right. Yeah, I do at home. I, you know, when I'm, when I'm around town and stuff, I wind up using a lot of cash. When I'm traveling, especially for business, I almost never use cash because I want to make sure I track every expense. And so even if I'm buying a $5 sandwich at the airport, I pay with a credit card. And it's frankly much faster because you can just swipe it and you're done as opposed to having to, you know, go through this back and forth of, of making change and all that good stuff. Actually, what I did recently, so yeah, it'd be nice if everybody moved in this direction, but mm-hmm. uh, recently the, I, I got a Groupon for uh, Starbucks. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was $5 for 10 bucks. I typically don't go to Starbucks, but you know, they have more stuff now. They got food, not just sure. know, overpriced coffee, but, um, but no, you can pay for your stuff uh, using their app. It's kind of neat. 
that is cool. Yeah, I had a, a yeah. You you can load the gift card and then it puts it in a, a barcode that they just scan at the register and uh, yeah. So so at least you know for Starbucks you can uh, you can pay with your phone. That's yeah. That that is cool. I, I would love to see uh, uh, more places do that. It'll, it'll be interesting to see how all of this develops. It's um, it, it you know we're. We're at a, we're at, as we have been, you know, we're, we're constantly at these, these uh, kind of looking over the precipice of what's, what's kind of the next game changer thing. And, th- and this whole concept of how we get money to and from each other is, uh, is, it's quite, it is it, something that needs to be solved, I think. So that's good. I think it's good. They'll get there. Actually, I did uh, a while ago. There was a place that was uh, at one of the media events I went to. They actually had a case that uh, was an NFC enabled case. And I was like, oh, cool. You know, can I have one to you know evaluate? And then as I dug into it, I saw that they wanted to uh, charge me. Uh, I think it was a small fee, but they wanted uh, me to pay five bucks a month for the privilege of using this device to pay for things. And I'm like, no. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, I mean, that's the problem is, is, you know, right now it, w- without having the banks on board and everything, there's, there's, there's a disconnect, but, but the banks will, the banks, in, especially in the U S have proven that they prioritize convenience, customer convenience over everything else. So, uh, in terms, especially, you know, given that the fact that we still have used massively insecure credit cards here. So I, I, I think, I think we will, um, I think we will see that come around. I hope so. All right, John. Seth writes, he says, I don't remember hearing this tip on the show, so I'll pass it along just in case. This terminal hack, I'm going to link to it in the show notes, will bring back the save as option to the file menu and leave the duplicate option there as well so you don't have to press the option key all the time. And and it's a defaults right thing. It's just one little line you do in the terminal. We'll put a link to a two-hour article that details it. But, uh, you know, in, in, uh, in mountain line, especially in, in Apple's apps, save as is gone. And if you hold down the option key, you can bring it back. But, uh, but there is this one little terminal, uh, line that you can type and then it comes back just fine. So, uh, that, that's a good thing. Yeah. I'm still not sure about Apple's new file structure thing. They've been trying it for a while and, uh, I'm not overly convinced that it's the right deal. I think people still, and people grok the folder concept and are okay having their files not baked inside their applications. Um, that'll be interesting to see. Don't you think, John? What are your thoughts on that? If you're new to using the device or the OS, then then I think it's easier to grok. But if you're used to the old way of doing it, then yeah, it's, it's, it's a, you know, so you, yeah, you think paradigm you've... shift that... You think this is one of my one of these get out of get off of my lawn kind of things where where us us guys us old guys that are used to the way things work are uh, are 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 the are the problem here, but new people grok this better. That that's that's my interpretation. Yeah, but do you believe? But I, I know that's your interpretation. I, I, I believe it because believe yeah, it. yeah, if okay. you if you don't know anything else, yeah, if you were brought up with the whole folder, you right? Know, if you were brought up with that model, then the way they do it now doesn't really makes sense or it takes away something that you maybe thought you needed. Right. Right. <laughs> well, I, it, you know, for case in point, I, I see, I, I see it very differently. I think Apple started with the iPhone 
uh, didn't want to allow any apps on it at all. Right. It wasn't wasn't intending on allowing third party apps. And then the whole jailbreaking thing happened. They realized there was this interest. They buckled down. They figured out or they doubled down. They buckled up and doubled down. What do they do anyway? They got to work and they created uh, this whole app paradigm. But the big problem was the coming. The iPhone was kind of built out of frustration with a lot of things, not the least of which were phones like the trio, which worked very well. But apps could talk to each other and could crash each other and could crash the OS. So Apple created this really rigid sandbox that, that we know and, and love uh, for iOS. And they've tried to move it to the Mac with varying degrees of success. But, uh, but that sandbox was created to keep the phone stable and I get it. I, you know, it's not perfect. Uh, it, it doesn't, you know, it, 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 uh, it limits some flexibility, but it certainly does keep the iPhone stable. And if you never experienced what life was like with a trio and apps on it, then maybe you don't know quite the extent of what I'm trying to say here, but, uh, but it took me six months to get my trio to the point where I ran the apps that I wanted and yet the phone wouldn't crash and I could run it all day without having to reboot the phone. So, uh, so I appreciate that part of the iPhone, but I think it was out of that, that the current file document model was born where they bake files inside the documents. And in a lot of very single purpose iOS apps, that's okay. You know, I, I probably don't need to access my downcast XML preferences file from, uh, you know, infinity blade. Right. I mean, it, 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 there's no reason for that, but my pages documents, those, I kind of want to be able to access from say my Dropbox app or, you know, so I can sync them to any computer or, or really let's say I want to open, let's say I have some file, some, some, you know, like office squared app where I want to open uh, you know, a word file in that and edit it a little bit and then open it in pages and convert it that way. I can't do that. I can't open uh, a spreadsheet inside a word processing app. And so there's all this stuff, this sandboxing, I'm not convinced. And also you don't know where your files are, right? You just sort of have to trust that they're where you think they are. And I don't know. I'm not convinced that this was created for the benefit of the users. I think it was a byproduct of how can we best serve our users while not giving up on our precious sandbox. That's what I think. That's my little rant. Yeah. I know. <laughs> so that's where I am, John. I'm going to say hi to everybody in the, uh, in the chat room at macgeekgab.com slash stream that has joined us this morning. And we had a, like I said, we had a fun pre-show discussion that put us running late here, but, uh, but in good spirits. And uh, so I will say hi to everybody in the chat room. Ready to move on here, John? Indeed. Okay. Our first sponsor for today is Squarespace at squarespace.com slash MGG. Now, uh, Squarespace you may think of them, you may have heard of them before. Certainly, if you listen to this show, you would know of them. Uh, they are a web host, and that's one part of their business. But they're also a web page design company. That's the other part of their business. They also have an e-commerce engine. That's another part of their business. Really, what it is, is it's one-stop shopping. If you want to create a web page for basically anything that you're doing, an event you're trying to promote, a blog that you have, uh, if you have a, a store, you know, maybe you, maybe you've got maybe you've been making crafts on your own and you want to sell some stuff online. Or maybe you've been writing 
uh, you know, books and you want to have people download them as, uh, as eBooks from you without having to deal with going to, you know, Amazon or anything like that. You can do that too. You just, whatever you want to do, you just go to squarespace.com and, and we would appreciate it if you went to squarespace.com slash MGG so that they know you, uh, you came from us, but squarespace.com would work. You go there and you, uh, and you, and you just start building your site. In fact, you don't even tell them your name first. The first thing you do is you pick out a template and you start messing with it. And then you create an account to save that template so that you can keep working on it. And you get a two week free trial. So you got a couple of weeks to mess with it, start building your pages, uh, altering the navigation, altering the pictures. You can do you can you can customize this in so many ways. I've taken pictures literally from my desktop and dragged them onto my web page in Squarespace and it just works. Uh, I, just this week, I messed with rebuilding our, uh, our, our, our page for my, the, one of the bands I'm in. Uh, it's at flingrocks.com. So you can see what I put together. It took me probably an hour to kind of put all that together. And, uh, and it's just very, very easy. I kind of started with a template and I started changing things. And now what I have looks nothing like the template. But uh, but it was a nice starting point. You just drag things in and you can resize them and put them where you want. And uh, and then when you're done, you hit save and publish and boom, it's up and there you go. It's published. It's live. The world can see it. We even used it for uh, an event that we did a couple of months ago. And we had a whole ticketing uh, system where people could get tickets and all that stuff. And it just worked flawlessly. It was really, really great. So visit squarespace.com slash MGG. Go and play around with it. Have some fun. And Assuming uh, at the end of your two weeks, you're ready to go live and you want to move forward and you want to buy, you know, a month or a year's worth of uh, of of your account from them. Use the coupon code MGG11 because we are in the 11th month of the year. So for November, we're using MGG11 and uh, and that will get you 10 percent off of whatever it is and however it is you you go ahead and, and buy that. So check it out. Squarespace.com slash M. GG and MGG one one as the coupon. All right, John, uh, I think we've got uh, a question for you here and I'm going to let Joe run with it. Hey guys, Joe here from Raleigh, North Carolina. Have a question specifically for John related to aperture. Uh, also a, uh, advanced amateur enthusiast, whatever for photo, I've been using aperture now for quite a while. Uh, somewhere in the process of an update, I realized that I had been making uh, imports to a backup copy of Aperture on a backup drive that Aperture had seen and, and loaded. No doubt I did it and forgot about it at some point. But realizing that was incorrect, a week or so ago I swapped it back and started importing to the right one because I, I thought it was just a, a fluke. Realized yesterday that I had made a number of imports. I had, but, you know, well, probably hundreds of, of photos into the backup version of Aperture. And now since I've been using it for a week or more with the, with the older, I have that, I have, imported into the actual real version of Aperture. In both cases at this point, the SD cards are basically white. And even if they aren't, I don't know how to be able to figure out 
which of the files are different. So I'm wondering if there is like a disk utility that can compare two folders, in this case, the two Aperture library folders, if you will, on the two different drives and be able to come up and tell me where they differ so that I can match that to the photos that need to be drugged or exported or whatever from one from the old library back up into the new one. All right, John. So we've got uh, we've got the case of a forked, and by forked I actually mean forked. That's not a euphemism for anything. He's taken his aperture library and he had unintentionally started editing two different copies with two different things. And now he wants to take those changes and defork them and bring them back together. How is it possible? What's the path? Well, I'll give, I'll give you one path. Um, awesome. So one, what I would suggest, and it sounds like um, this is not being done, but one thing I would strongly encourage is that, and, and this is what I do is that when you bring content into your aperture library, that you organize it in projects. Okay. If he had done that, then I think he, he, he would have been able to easily see the difference between the two libraries and the, you know, gr- grouping your pictures into projects allows you to, uh, you know, if you do have different libraries to compare the two and see which, you know, where the differences are. All right. Um, and, and, and while, that's something- while we're on the subject of hindsight being 2020, uh, not necessarily helpful to Joe yet, but, uh, but helpful going forward. Uh, my advice would be whenever you make a backup, eject it so that that backup is not online during your normal mm. course of, of, you know, use. And then it's far less likely that you will accidentally edit backup data, your, your, the backup, the data on your backup as opposed to the data on the live. So, okay. H- hindsight 2020. Right. Now, All right. The second thing I would suggest is that if you're going to make a backup of the library is to not actually make a backup of the aperture library file what you want to do is that within aperture there's a backup facility and they call it a vault and this allows you to make a backup of your aperture library but it's not an aperture library file it's a vault file and then if you need to restore things from it later on you can do that so that's suggestion okay. number two okay um what I would do in his case now, the thing is um, it's not on by default. Now it sounds like there is a date at which point things started to deviate. So you're going to have to try to figure out what that date was. And one thing that you could possibly do, Dave, so there is a way if, if you are in aperture, you go to the library view and then there's a photo view. You can list all of the uh, photographs and you can sort by date. So that's okay. So that's where I would start. Now, the next thing you could do is highlight all of the photos from the date that things started to go wrong uh, forward and export them, you know, put them into a a folder. Sure. Yep. uh, Wherever you want. And then here's the key. And I think this may do it. But if it doesn't, I have a backup plan. So good. If you then go to the import that there is an import and it's actually in the menu bar, there's an import feature. Um where you can import photos. So, you know, go, go to the one library, export the photos from a certain point forward, then load the other library. And then what you want to do is the click on the import tab. And then here's the important part, Dave, there is a little checkbox called do not import duplicates. Oh, Oh, that's it. Yeah. Okay. 
as far as I can tell, that's the path uh, that would be the path. And, you know, it compares the pitchers and it shouldn't. Right. Right. Uh, I think it compares them by name. You know, it's, it's pretty basic. Um, but that should get you to the point. Uh, the hardest part here is going to be, you know, figuring out wh- where things started going wrong. Um, but once you export everything, then then I would import and make sure to check that. And then what should happen is it will not create all these duplicates in your library. Now, if you do happen to get duplicates in your new consolidated library, then the best I found, there is a piece of software called, you guessed it, <laughs> maybe not, Duplicate Annihilator for Aperture, um, which I see many people, I haven't actually used it, but I've seen many people uh, extol the virtues of it and say, you know, if you want a tool, so if you, if you forgot to check the little checkbox saying don't import duplicates, then this program, and it's only seven ninety five. Um, and I'm sorry, what's version, the, say the name of that again for me, please. Duplicate Annihilator. Ah, uh, yeah. Okay. Bratu, B-R-A-T-T-O-O dot yep. com. We've talked about this before. Yeah, that's good. Okay. Right. And that can uh, detect duplicates using a number of different uh, uh, methods. Um, and yeah, it's, it's 795. So right. Uh, if you do happen to get, uh, you know, import and get duplicates, then uh, that's what I would use to... Get rid of them. I like it. I like it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's good. See, I, uh, I'm glad you knew about that. Um, my initial thought was, well, if only he had been using the iPhoto library format from within Aperture, he could then go use iPhoto library manager to do a lot of this stuff. Um, and I still, uh, I still think that going forward, I think that's the, probably the smartest thing I can't see. And, and maybe you can point out to me why, but I can't see why you wouldn't want to use the iPhoto format for Aperture because Aperture now supports uh, its own custom format as well as the iPhoto format. And the benefit of using the iPhoto format is um, that iPhoto can also work with these pictures as can anything that deals with an iPhoto library. So that, that, that seems yes. to me to be the format is now compatible. And actually yeah. I did, a, I did a little test. So I, I don't really use iPhoto anymore, but I okay. did a little test and actually I found out what you don't want to do. Okay. <laughs> okay. Is try to say import library because what I tried was to import a small iPhoto library into my aperture library. And, uh, you know, again, I only have a couple of photos in iPhoto. I don't sure. really use it anymore. Uh, what you don't want to do is say import library because, uh, it didn't, uh, appear to uh, detect duplicates. Oh, right. Oh, you want to yeah, be right. sure to use okay. the import. Uh, yeah. You don't want to use the import library feature. You want to be sure to use the, uh, you know, input, import uh, individual photo. Right. Right. And again, right. you'll see that feature if you click on the import arrow that's on the uh, top of uh, aperture. Yep. Ah, that makes sense. That's good. All right. All right. Good. Uh, listener Pete writes, uh, which is different from pilot Pete, but I believe uh, both Pete and pilot Peter in the chat room. Anyway, uh, listener Pete writes, I'm running a MacBook Pro late 2008, 15 inch with eight gigs of RAM and an OWC 120 gig SSD in the hard drive bay and a 500 gig spinning hard drive, mechanical hard drive in the optical bay merged into a fusion drive that I did manually. I'm running 10.9 Mavericks. The fusion drive works fine, although I've only used 42 gigs of the fusion drive so far. My question is, with a Fusion Drive in the MacBook Pro, 
What hibernate mode should I use? This is going to get a little geeky, but it's good stuff. Uh, I'd love to extend the time between charges without shutting down between uses. I'm concerned that if I use hibernate mode 25, uh, that will impact the lifespan of the SSD. The hibernate mode. So there's, there's basically three hibernate modes that, uh, that the OS can use. And they are, um, they are all set from the terminal, but there's three. One is hibernate mode zero, uh, which is no hibernate. It just, um, when the system goes to sleep, it just goes to sleep and the contents of RAM are maintained by power, either from uh, electricity or the battery. Hibernate mode three is what's default on most laptops, which is that uh, the memory is kept alive by battery power, but also the uh, image of RAM is stored to the hard drive so that if you run out of battery power, uh, you don't lose anything. And the next time you come back up, the uh, RAM image will just be loaded from the disk, but it does go through that process of writing it to the disk. And then 25, which is what Pete is suggesting, uh, is that it does not rely on memory to or on power to maintain memory. It saves it to the uh, saves the image of what saves what's in RAM to disk and then shuts the computer off, maintaining uh, the uh, the battery as long as possible. So he, he says, uh, uh, Currently, I have hibernate mode set to zero, which is the default for desktops, but not laptops. Uh, does the fusion drive keep the platter spinning and therefore impact battery life? So this is an interesting question because fusion drive is what Apple calls their um, it's essentially a logical drive manager thing. The core storage thing that Apple does merging together your asset two drives, typically an SSD and a mechanical drive. So, and it, and it, um, it's smart because it's tied in with the OS. So it actually can move files from one drive to the other. Uh, but your system, you and your system see it as just one volume and it sort of magically moves files around, uh, prioritizing the ones that you're going to need to access more often and putting those on the SSD to make things faster, which is awesome. I mean, it's, it's a great concept. I, it scares the heck out of me. I would never use it, uh, because there's, there's not a lot of repairs that can repair one of these drives. So uh, if any corruption happens to the file system, you basically have to wipe it and start over. But Pete has chosen to use it. And that's fine. I'm sure Pete's all backed up because he's a longtime Mac Geek listener. So he's OK. But it's also not built to be used on a laptop. In fact, uh, I can't imagine Apple ever intended or intends for this because Apple doesn't ship laptops with two drives at least not two hard drives. So and Pete obviously has built a, a little bit of a Frankenstein machine here, which is good. Uh, we, we fully support that, but we have to remember what Apple has intended for us uh, and where, what Apple has tested this on officially fusion drive is only supported on machines that you get from the factory with fusion drive. So certainly not on his laptop, but it works. I mean, it's all running OS 10. I don't think he's going to have a problem there. But you kind of do need to bear in mind that it was built for machines that are desktop machines only, not laptops. So, yeah, I would guess that Fusion Drive keeps your platter spinning. Um, it's probably not built to be overly energy um, efficient because it's not intended for laptops. As far as hibernate mode goes, um, I don't think it's going to matter. 
Again, I'm not convinced that Fusion Drive is going to know how to deal with where to put that Hibernate file necessarily. It should put it on the spindle drive only. Uh, And if Apple had spent any time considering that you might hibernate a machine with Fusion Drive, they probably would have done that. But Apple did spend a lot of time considering that you might hibernate a machine with a laptop. And in fact, the default mode is that you would hibernate a machine with a that that is a laptop and they and all their laptops now or most of their laptops now ship with SSDs. So my feeling is that you're fine using 25 or three. But if you want to save energy and just have it hibernate and not have it sleep, then I think hibernate mode 25 is going to be fine. Just make sure you have backup because, again, you're doing something that's, you know, way outside the realm of what Apple ever intended and probably what Apple ever tested. That's my feeling anyway, John. That's my wrap on that. What do you got? I got nothing because I don't, I don't have one of those yet. I don't have one either, but I, I figured you might have an opinion. No, 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 I got to try it out. Maybe I'll do the Franken Frankenstein thing. It does sound like fun. I know. Yeah. 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 And now as far as uh, laptops, you're still considering going the uh, retina 15 inch route. Is that right? Probably. Yeah, that's cool. And you're going to keep your old one and Frankenstein it up. Yeah, why not? Yeah, you're yeah, probably not going to get the, much uh, for it to sell it. Yeah. No, I mean, yeah, it's early 2008. Right. It's pretty dated, but it does have, yeah, it does have a DVD, uh, a bay for a DVD drive. So yeah, I could. And those are cheap. I got something. I got one of those OptiBays from, for because that's, that's the same machine that my daughter has. Um, she has my old hand me down and, and that's the one where the hard drive controller went bad so i had to move the ssd and she only runs a drive and you'll, you'll i don't know if i told you this john when i moved everything around and so she runs we have an ssd uh, um, a run core ssd sitting in the um in the old dvd bay with with the opta bay from uh from mce and that was cheap it was like 30 bucks for the opta bay it was easy but uh but i i don't know why i wanted to keep the hard drive cable around john but i didn't know where to put it. And I didn't want to like try to remember what drawer I put it in or whatever. And then it hit me. I'm like, well, wait a minute. The hard drive bay is going to be empty. So I used a lot of tape to make sure that, uh, you know, would stay in there. And, uh, and I put it in a, a small plastic bag. And so inside her computer in the hard drive bay is the hard drive cable, uh, locked in there with, uh, with plenty of, uh, healthy tape. So I thought you'd appreciate that a little Easter egg for the next person that goes in there. Tape. Yeah, I know. I know. <laughs> I couldn't resist. All right. Uh, moving along here. Jason has a question. I like all these questions. We haven't gotten a chance to do questions in the last couple of weeks, or at least not a lot of them. Uh, Jason says, I'm running OS 10 10.9 Mavericks on my 2012 MacBook Air. My question is, Is there a way to force Spotlight to search through email attachments when I'm looking for something? For example, if I search for a word that I know is in a PDF attachment, not the title of the PDF, Spotlight won't find it. But if I do the same search on my Windows 7 machine, it does. I use the same Exchange account on both machines. I have re-indexed Spotlight, but this didn't help. Uh, He says, uh, and and then and then he uh, and then he said. Adding in, I, be, I believe we get another email from him saying that adding another account did cause it to re-index this. So it, um, so we're in a weird situation where 
Initially, mail wouldn't do this, but then after he added a Gmail account, it did start indexing it not only for his Gmail account, but for his exchange account. So uh, it should be indexing these things. Um, and, and I've found a couple of articles indicating that, that Spotlight does, in fact, index these, th- these types of things. Um, oh, yeah. OK. And, and it wasn't it wasn't Jason. It was a, a user that I found that said that he, in order to get it to index these things, he had to go through this process. So. Uh, you can force spotlight to re-index and that may be what needs to happen here. Uh, you can do it from the command line, but it's way easier to use Onyx, which is a, uh, a, a free utility from uh, titanium. Uh, I'll find the link. We'll put the link in the show notes. We put it there many times before titanium.free.fr. But, uh, but Onyx may be the, uh, the answer here. And, uh, so the way it works is you go into Onyx and you go into the maintenance section and in rebuild, you want to choose both the spotlight index and mails envelope index. And if you have it rebuild both of those and then uh, you can reboot the machine after that, that's always anytime I do force any rebuilds like that. I always just reboot the machine to clear out any caches and, and come back around. But uh but then it'll it should go through once you relaunch mail, it should go through and re-index all that stuff. Uh, that that may be the answer here. The other thing that I'm thinking of right now, John, is there is uh, a section in mail when you set up your accounts. So if you go into mail and you go into preferences, you go to accounts and you go to advanced, there is an option, keep copies of messages for offline viewing. And you could, you have four options, uh, all messages and their attachments, all messages, all messages, but omit their attachments, only messages I've read and don't keep copies of any messages. The first option, all messages and their attachments. I believe that must be the option that you use. If you want to have copies of all these for indexing purposes. So make sure that's on too. In fact, that that probably would be the first thing I would do is make sure that's on. And then if that's on, then go and rebuild for spotlight to rebuild. That's uh, that's my feeling on it. What you got, John? I'm with you. All right. Well, that's good. Got nothing to add. Yeah, I think it just. Uh, yeah, it missed them. So, yeah, force it. What is it? MDUtil space dash capital E, I think, is the way to do it from the terminal. Uh, MDUtil, you're right. Space dash capital E space slash. Uh, because you got to tell it what volume, although you're right. right, It may default to your, 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 your root volume. So you may not even need the slash. Yeah. Yeah. I've never done it. Uh, I've never done it without the slash, but that that's probably just more habit than, or more. I don't know. I don't know if it's habit or what. It's just me. You got one for us, John. At least one. Okay. So we got one from Michael. Now, Now, some of this is speculation, but, um, we love speculation. Yeah. Well, well, we'll address the question here. Um, so here's the question. Do you know of a way to password protect or otherwise secure the notes application in OS 10 and or iOS? I realize that I have a fair amount of sensitive information, their logins, etc. I have used it over time because it is fast and simple to access. Oops, maybe that's the problem. I do use one password in another program called Wallet to store this kind of, these kind of things as well, but was wondering if there was an easy way to secure notes. And I was wondering about this too, Dave. You know, so of course, notes uh, is uh, 
you know, involved with iCloud. So I thought, well, let me, you know, see what Apple has to say about this. And sure enough, they have a handy dandy article called iCloud, iCloud Security and Privacy Overview. And they will tell you what, um, how they secure the, the various things that iCloud manages. Uh, specifically, the, in, in the list here, they'll show a column here, encryption in transit and on server. And the good news is that almost everything here is encrypted. Uh, you know, calendars, contacts, bookmarks, and, and so on are encrypted both in transit and on server, except for, Dave, mail and notes. So number one, you may be asking yourself, well, why are mail and notes together? Isn't that weird? Well, not really, because notes are actually using IMAP. This was right. kind of obvious. This was kind of obvious in earlier versions of mail and that you would actually, uh, I don't think you can do it anymore, but Apple's mail app would actually let you create notes and see notes within the mail app. But now they've separated the two. Now, the good news is that notes are encrypted. Both mail and notes are encrypted in transit. In that in their in transit column, it says, yes, the sure. bad news is that it is not because it's IMAP, um, not encrypted on the server. So, okay. So the thing yeah, is, it is not, encry- so it's not encrypted. So that's the kind of bad news, but here's the good news. And, and this is a feature that I'm glad they still have Dave and everybody. Um, but if you go to keychain access and especially now on Maverick, so this is the thing I don't know. And I, I, I still have to try this. My apologies, but, um, if you go into Keychain Access, you're going to see um, an item called, well, <laughs> what we're exactly what we're asking for. In the category list, you're going to see something called Secure Notes. Now, the only thing is I do not believe that this is something that you can propagate um, to other machines, but maybe you can. The thing is, I only have one Mavericks machine, so... Uh, but the thing is, so if you want to store, no, these don't sync. I, I've tried don't. this. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, you did. Okay, because the thing is, so normally, so, so what you do is you highlight the keychain where you want to put the secure note, and then you click on the little plus, and you say make a secure note, and it'll put it in that particular keychain. Now, the thing I didn't know, Dave, is that you can, or at least on my Mavericks machine now, in keychain access, uh, one of the keychains is called iCloud. I'm like, hmm, well, what if I created a secure note in iCloud? I don't have an iCloud keychain on my Mavericks machine. You don't? I do not. You're not using iCloud keychain? I guess not. Hmm. Oh, you're probably right. Yes. Yeah. Oh, you, you probably have not activated that. I have not activated it. So how would I, I have... activate it? How would I activate that, John? Uh, I think I actually activated it when I... Upgraded to iOS 7, I think. I thought I had. Uh, my my iPhone asks me to use it. So maybe, is that in, in the iCloud uh, uh, preference pane? Oh, wait. Yeah, no, of course it is. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so you should see on your uh, Mavericks I see machine. It there. Oh. And it's not checked, is it? It is checked now. Okay. Well, then what you're going to see now is, uh, it, it, so keychains. So now I have a login keychain, system keychain. And I also see an iCloud keychain. So my question was, if I create a secure note in the iCloud keychain, would that propagate to uh, other machines? And I'm not sure. The thing is, on iOS, there's not a nice way to 
view what's in the iCloud keychain? On OS 10, there is. So maybe that's a solution. Right? So I'm going to have to try this. Yeah. I'm going to have to try this because I only have one machine. I only have one OS 10 machine that is using iCloud keychain. So I, I currently don't have the ability to see if it's propagated to any other machine. Because I'm still running Mountain Line on this one. Right. So that's, so that's maybe one way to do it. So you may not be able to sync it, but you could at least store it on a machine. And it would be a secure note. And that you uh, typically have to provide a password in order to open it and see what's what's in it. Huh. Yeah, that's interesting. We'll have to. That, so so I have not tested it with the iCloud key. That's yeah. Huh. That might work. That might well it work. Might work. Yeah. Now, the other thing to do, of course. So uh, now he mentions he uses one password um, and I believe they have a secure notes feature. They do. Um, I use it extensively. It's, it works great. Because the notes are easily accessible from uh, not only all of my Macs that run one password, which they all do. And uh, it, it's also accessible from my iOS devices. And I have no idea on my iOS device how I would find a secure note in my iCloud keychain. So even if it does sync them amongst your Macs, um, I can't think of I mean, there's just, you know. No, you're right. Is it? Yeah, I couldn't find that the, they they don't. I couldn't find a nice way of seeing what's in the iCloud keychain on iOS. Right. 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 Is that it kind of happens behind the scenes as far as, yeah, if you're, you know, submitting passwords to websites and stuff like that, it kind of just happens. So it's yep. a, there's much that is hidden. The other option, well, you know, if he wasn't using one password, then the thing I could suggest, um, and they've actually recently upgraded this and made the UI pretty snazzy. But I'm looking here in LastPass, Dave, and I see here explicitly if I click on it in Safari, there is a category called Secure Notes. So that's another uh, option uh, for Secure Notes that will propagate uh, among your various machines. Yeah, and you know, I'm a I, I, I would love to test out LastPass, uh, but I don't believe there's a way to do that without having to rebuild my entire library over there. Right. You know, I, I, I've been a one password user since probably day one of one password. I mean, mm -hmm. it, this, this was a feature that I desperately wanted and needed. And, and it was great, you know, because the, 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 we used to have key keychain syncing with with mobile me. And then that sort of went away. And, and so one password was the obvious thing. But I'll be the first one to tell you one password ain't cheap. Right. I mean, you're going to spend 50 bucks on the Mac version and then you're going to spend another uh, off the top of my head, I don't know, um, but I'll pull it up. But I think it's another 20 or 18. Sorry, on the uh, on the iOS version. So, you, you know, you're you're into this for almost 70 bucks. And uh, and that's I mean, is the software worth it? I, I, I suppose so. Yes. Um, it's hard for me to say because I've never paid for it. I've never been in a position to have to. They they've always just given me licenses, which is which I love. That's great. But I, you know, if I had to pay for it, which way would I have gone? I probably would have gone with this. It wasn't always this expensive. Um and and certainly when they started out, it was the only thing I knew of. So yes, I probably would have paid. And I and now that I think about it, I think at one point along the lines I did pay for for one of the upgrades, but I certainly haven't paid for all of them. Um so, but I, I think I did pay for the upgrade for one password three. In fact, I'm certain of that now uh, one password four they they gave me, but, uh, but three, I did pay for. Um, and I'm fine with paying for it. You know, I, my philosophy is that I'm happy to pay for any software that I, I use and rely on. But 
if I had to do it all over again, I'd be very interested in LastPass, uh, not just because of the pricing model, but because I, I was looking over your shoulder, John, watching you do something and LastPass popped up and it auto populated in your browser. Something one password doesn't do on my Mac anymore. I have to hit the, oh. the keystroke huh. to have it auto populate. And maybe, maybe I just don't know enough about one password. Maybe I need to dig in and find a way to tell it, Hey, auto populate for me without me typing the, the magic keystroke. Um, and maybe there is a way to do that. Cause I had something else that I was, that was driving me crazy with it. And I mentioned it to Dave Tier, uh, the, one of the founders of the company. And, and he's like, Oh dude, just do this. I'm like, Oh yeah. Okay. Thanks. <laughs> so I could, it could, that could just be me. But, uh, but I was very, I was like, Whoa, that saves a ton of time. So anyway, uh, last pass interests me, but I, I don't think there's any way to move your one password library, you know, import it into LastPass and, and, and then come back. Uh, you know, it would, it would have to be this very time consuming process to even test it at this point for me. So, so, so that, that that's just my little tangent on password stuff. Yep. And pilot yeah. Pete's telling me it's an option in preferences. See? So that's why, that's why I love what we do. Oh, here. to auto put, yeah. Same with LastPass. You can say, oh, when you, when you come to this website, uh, auto, auto fill the, yeah, well, I've got uh, auto fields. fill on, but hmm. I don't know. Um, I'll launch it. I'll, I'll, I'll mess with it. I'll, 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 if there's a way I will find it, uh, or someone will tell me about it. So yes. Yeah. But you like one, you like LastPass, right? And LastPass is like a dollar a month. Is that, is that right? I, I want to make sure that I'm well, like you, I'm, Oh, well, there's a free version and then, then they have a, uh, uh, subscription, various tiers. Okay. But yeah, as far as I can tell the, the, you can get the basic free version for free. <laughs> as the, yes. Right. <laughs> and then if you want more features and I think they actually bumped me up to the, uh, the, the, I don't, I, I don't think I've really used them. I, I still pretty much use the capabilities that you would get if, uh, if you had it for free. So, okay. Okay. Yeah, I can't get pricing here. Yeah, twelve dollars a year for one pass. For sorry, twelve dollars a year for LastPass Premium. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can either do auto renew or or just you know a year at a time. But it's twelve bucks. So yeah, dollar a month for for the premium version. And I think you would need the premium version, John, to sync. I think I, I mean I think in order to sync with your iPhone and all that, don't you need premium? There's some some level of that that you that you don't get unless you have premium, but it's a dollar a month. So there you go. Just a different model. You probably wind up paying the same thing over the time. But I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what to tell you, John. Right. Really? Wow. That's a surprise. What's that? That I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I looked in my path. You usually have plenty to tell me. Dave. I know. I looked in my, uh, <laughs> in my, in my one password, preferences here and i have automatically submit forms after filling which is great but i i would rather have it automatically submit the form when i visit the website as opposed to having to you know go through that whole process of i don't know it's one keystroke but i don't know i kind of liked it that way and i think one password used to do it that way and then they had to change it when the whole safari extension thing uh, got turned on its head a couple of years ago but that's how we roll all right Moving on. Indeed. Okay. Uh, Scott has a couple of things. He says uh, feedback first. He says on last week's show where you were answering question about a guy's uh, mail merge issues. Uh, there, he, the one thing wasn't clear. 
He asked to mail. Was it that he asked to mail merge into a form letter or to create address labels? The reason I ask is simple. I have a great solution if he or any of the rest of you want to create address labels. And I wanted to include this because we're heading into Christmas card season or holiday card season or whatever it is season that you send out cards. Right. And uh, he says, I use labels and addresses from Belite software at BelightSoft.com. And again, we'll put a link in the show notes. He says, and it ties into your contacts. We send out around 75 Christmas cards every year. And I use contacts and this app to maintain the list and print the labels. If he, if he wants to create a form letter, I don't have anything uh, beyond what you suggested in the show. So, uh, so yeah, if it's just labels, you might actually get what you need from, uh, from the folks at Belight. So thank you for that, Scott. And, uh, and Scott has a question. He says, I've been noticing something strange on my iMac. I have a 24-inch iMac, and I have Mavericks installed. I also have one of those handy menu items, which I can check system usage. And I believe it's iStat menus. He says he can't remember, but based on his description, it sounds like iStat menus. He says, at any rate, I have eight gigs of RAM in my Mac. When I start my Mac, the menu tool tells me that X megabytes or gigabytes of RAM are in use. X amount of RAM is free for a total of 8,192 megabytes of RAM total. All is good. Over time, all the numbers change. After about a week, I see the total RAM down to like 6,000 megabytes. This number goes down slowly, and I figure some piece of software has a memory leak. The only way to get my memory back is to reboot. I'm hoping that the next Mavericks will fix this. If not, I will start down the rabbit hole of trying to figure out the program uh, that is causing the leak. Uh, I just wanted to mention this in case you guys hear from others asking about it. Yeah, so you don't have a memory leak. Good news. Uh, What you do have is Mavericks. And one of the things that Mavericks does is it has, uh, in fact, it has a lot of features to do with optimizing the way the system runs and making things more efficient. And one of the things that it does is it has this tech called compressed memory. And, uh, and if you check in iStat menus and look at the amount, so in this case, you know, you've got about 2,000 megabytes or uh, two gigabytes of memory that are missing If you look in activity monitor under the menu tab, uh, sorry, not the menu tab, the memory tab. I don't know where my mind was going there uh, and take a look at the number that is listed for compressed memory, which is down and sort of to the right in the bottom there. My guess is that number will be exactly the same as the delta between what iStat menu shows and what you actually have. So it's simply that iStat menus, and I've talked to Bajango about this, they just haven't rewritten the app to account for this yet because the system is almost hiding that memory from at least the way they're looking uh, at going and getting it. Um, but it, your memory's not gone. OS X still has it. If you need it, uh, it comes back. It, it's just um, wh- what it does is it takes um, it. it, it uh, it frees up space by uh, actually compressing the data that's being stored in RAM so that you have more RAM available to other apps that need it. And then, of course, if that app needs it, it decompresses what was in RAM if necessary. Uh, our CPUs are really fast at doing compression and decompression, especially at at um, at sort of rudimentary levels. And that's what they're doing here, too. Keep you from running out of RAM is essentially what it is. But it does have this byproduct that whatever API or however their poll, uh, iStat menus is polling your RAM, it it falls short 
uh, by the exact number that has been compressed. So there you go. There you go. Now, Dave, on my Mac Mini running Mountain Lion, I see something weird too. Help me out. What's going on here? I'm go. Set you up for this. I know. Okay. So I see used memory and free memory, and the used memory is 4.57, and the free memory is 3.18. That adds up to 7.75. What's going on? Uh, used and free. So you're in activity monitor, right, John? No, no, I'm just oh. looking at iStat menus and, and I'm taking I, the two numbers. I'm taking used and free and adding them together and they only come to 7.75 gigs. Okay. How could that be? Don't you know? I don't know. No. Why, why wouldn't they equal? Because you're not on a, Ma- a Mavericks machine, right? Well, it's a Mac mini. Oh, okay. So, but you're not, it's not running Mavericks, right? So it's not this compressed. What, you're, what you're saying is it's not the compressed memory issue. What else could Correct. it be? Ah, yes. Um, my guess is, and I think you're setting me up for this, is that <laughs> you, you don't have a discrete video card. You have a, a CPU based or motherboard based video card that shares Correct. RAM with yes. your, uh, with the rest of your system. And so you, you've borrowed from the, from your RAM to, to do your video. Right. Card. That's right. Okay. All right. Okay. That's so a good question. Just, just in case think, people wonder about that. Yeah. So, it, it, yes, because what's missing is exactly the amount of VRAM, right. video RAM, which is 256 megabytes. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, <laughs> so if the numbers good. don't add up on, on a Mac Mini or any other machine that uses system memory for uh, video memory, um, that's why it won't add up. Yeah. Different issue, but yeah. No, it's a good question. Because I looked at it and all of a sudden I was like, wait a second, they're not adding up to eight. Why not? Right. That's right. Right. Oh, that's good. You made me think. I like that. That's good. You threw threw it right to me. That's good. Trying to... Trying to think, but nothing happens. Yeah, that's that's sort of that was that was at first I was vamping a little bit to get my mind kicking into gear. Like, wait a minute, where am I going here? <laughs> that's good. All right. Um, Scott has a question. Scott writes, I've purchased an audiobook through iTunes and I'd like to play it on a non Apple MP3 player. Trouble is the audiobook is in the M4B format and I'd really like to convert it to MP3. No doubt there's a usual assortment of DRM to contend with. So what's a good solution here for converting encrypted audiobooks I've bought into MP3s? I realize there's always something like Audio Hijack Pro, but my audiobook is nine hours long and I don't want to have to sit there through converting audio for nine hours. Is there anything faster? So Scott's solution is very interesting. And, and just for those of you that didn't immediately follow what he was suggesting, Audio Hijack Pro is actually a program I'm using right now. At least I hope I'm using it right now. Otherwise, you'll never hear this show unless you hear John's backup recording of it. Uh, Audio Hijack Pro lets you do a lot of different things with audio, including capturing the audio from any one app or a series of apps and saving that audio to a file. So if you have audio from Safari that you want to save to a file, you just tell Audio Hijack Pro capture Safari record. You hit the button. It plays in Safari, it records to an MP3, and you're good to go. And that would work for what Scott's talking about here. But like he said, you have to do that in real time. It's just recording what's being generated, so you can't speed that process up. So how to do this a little bit faster. Uh, There is always, with iTunes stuff, there is always the the age-old method of burn to CD and rip as MP3. So when we had, when iTunes had DRM uh, copy protection in, uh, in their songs that we bought from the iTunes store, uh, 
what you could do is you would burn those songs to a CD and then you could put that CD back into iTunes and iTunes would let you rip that into whatever format you wanted uh, without any DRM. So a, a little tedious, but certainly much faster than the nine hours it would take. In fact, it probably only take you several minutes to uh, to do that. But you need a CD drive and you may or may not have one depending on what computer you have, because some computers don't have optical drives at all. So that's step that's option number one, but it would work. Um, however, I'm not convinced that your audiobooks have any copy protection on them. Um, they have a file type that is like you said, dot M four B and that puts them in the book format and uh, iTunes treats them a little bit differently, but and one of the things it won't let you do is convert them to MP3. However, you, I believe you can change the file type from M4B to .M4A, and then iTunes will happily let you create an MP3. I don't believe there's any copy protection involved there. If there is, then you got to do the burn to CD method. But I don't think there is. So, uh, and, I, and I found a little YouTube video by, by someone. Um, it's not the best produced video, but it, it walks through this process uh, very in a very straightforward way. So I'll put that in the, in the show notes too. But, uh, but I tried it on some audiobooks I've got here and it worked, worked just fine. So um, I think, I think you can go either way with this. Yeah. Yeah. And another sneaky thing where if you change the uh, file type, because I just did this, Dave, I think I played to you. Uh, I was just uh, created a new ringtone. Yeah. My phone. <laughs> right. Right. I actually, yeah. Apparently, Piezo on Mavericks uh, does not record. Uh, can't pull the. Uh, it, it's still in beta right now. Mm -hmm. But I recorded it with the microphone. So yeah, it was a YouTuber a Vimeo video or something like that. So I played it back and recorded it on the microphone. It, it was good enough. But I wanted to get it to a ringtone. What you got to do is uh, you got to record. The file is AAC, and I believe the default uh, suffix is M4A. Yeah. If we change that to M4R, then iTunes considers that a ringtone. Right. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's got to yeah. be in the in case, AAC format. And then, right, it, it, you're changing the end from A to R to make it a ringtone for, versus A to B to be a book or any of those things. Yeah. Right. right. Which is kind of, it's kind of lame, but, you know. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I know. <laughs> but it's good. It's, um, you know. It gets us there. And it, listen, iTunes, I mean, we can't get started on this, right? iTunes is, uh, it is the center of Apple's universe in terms of linking your Mac to uh, all of your content and your phones and all that stuff. And, uh, and yet it's probably the worst piece of software that Apple continues to, uh, to produce. It's it it is the epitome of bloatware where they're they're so afraid of changing. I don't know if afraid is the right word, but but it would be a massive undertaking to truly rewrite iTunes. I know they said they were going to and then, and then they released, you know, what we have. And it's like uh, you didn't rewrite anything. You just changed the face. But, um, but yeah. Yeah. So it is how it works. And we, we learn to work within it, even though I can't sync wirelessly to my Mac anymore. Which bothers me. Someday I'll get there. I don't know. Well, John. Yeah, I'm still, I'm kind of upset about that. Yeah, because I, I, yeah, I, I routinely do the Wi-Fi syncing. But yeah, I yeah. guess you uh, got to get yourself the Apple router. 
I, but I have one. I mean, I have one on my network and it performs all the things that Apple routers do. I don't, I don't know. I would love it, all I need. I'm willing to take the troubleshooting and uh, the solving of this problem. I'm willing to take onto my own shoulders. What I would love is some information from Apple as to what iTunes, like what iTunes needs to see. What's it looking for? How are the two communicating? And, uh, and they don't publish that. So I guess what we need to do is I need to have you tell me what port. Oh, you might. You, this might not be all that difficult for you because you're doing it with because uh, you run little snitch and all that stuff. If you if, if you have an easy way of telling me what ports uh, your iPhone uses to communicate with your with 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 iTunes, that would be a really hmm. interesting thing for me because that. That would then tell me, you know, then, then I can start troubleshooting. OK, what happens if I start poking at these ports from here or from there? Where is the you know, where's the, what's how does that handshake happen? That's really what I need to know, because it's just not happening. It just doesn't show up. You know, when I unplug my iPhone, it's gone. And uh, and Sean King was going through the same problem uh, as is Ted Landau. Sean took his iMac without changing any settings that he didn't have to, he took his iMac into the Apple store and it worked flawlessly there once he connected to their network. So there's something about, you know, his router or the way his network works. That's just not facilitating this handshake locally. So I'd love to know. So if you've got that info, that'd be awesome. Cause that's, um, that would, you know, I I, I want to be able to sync. It'd be really handy. Mm-hmm. That's how I feel. What's that? That's the band. We've been oh at God. it for an hour. I know. It's crazy. Amazing. It's amazing. If you want to send in anything to us, uh, comments, tips, questions, follow-ups, pictures, cookies, coffee? turkeys, coffee. coffee. Yeah, we send you coffee to take, John. Uh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> Someone actually, yeah, I think I'll, I'll take him up on that. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, listener Scott. Uh, one of the questions we answered, he offered offered some coffee, so I, I made sure to made sure to send him your way, John, because I just don't drink coffee. Uh, but anyway, so uh, it's a good thing. If you want to do any of that, feedback at macgeekab.com is a great place to start. And I think everybody heard you, Dave. But in case they didn't, you said feedback at macgeekab. I will say it again. Feedback at MacGeekab.com. Unless, unless you are one of our premium supporters and then you get to use the address of premium at MacGeekab.com, which is actually the address that I believe listener Scott used uh, when telling us about the, uh, the coffee. And if you are not a premium subscriber, that's okay. You can join the club. It's very, very easy. You go to MacGeekab.com. And uh, and then just click on the link to become a premium subscriber. And you have various ways. The concept behind premium is actually something that you folks came up with. And uh, and we've been doing our best to iterate the implementation of it to match what you folks want. And effectively, it is a way that allows you to offer your direct support to us uh, if you want to. You don't have to. It's not mandatory. We still do our best to answer your questions. And obviously, the content of the show is here for you. But uh, but if you would like to help support us, we certainly appreciate you helping us keep the lights on and helping us stay in uh, stay in tech gear and with mortgages uh, with with roofs over our heads because that way we can keep coming and doing the show for you. 
Uh, just visit MacGeekGab.com. <laughs> what? That's good. It's it, Listen, that's how it works. Um, well, it makes it a lot easier. So it I does. suppose I could live live in a tent in the woods and, you know. Go to the library to Try to snag, snag somebody's Wi-Fi or something. Yeah. That's true. But, uh, that's true. Yeah, that's right. Have have uh, have Wi-Fi will podcast, <laughs> right? That's right. Will podcast for Wi-Fi? Something like that. I don't know. There's something. But, uh, but ch- ch- check that out if you are interested. We certainly appreciate your support. And, uh, and we do... Uh, once a year, twice a year, maybe uh, do uh, for anybody that's that's donated a uh, hundred bucks or more since the last time uh, we send out a, uh, uh, a token of our appreciation to you. This time was the the awesome water bottles. I am so stoked with these water bottles, John. They're they 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 stay sealed. I use it on stage all the time because it's got the little flip top. Uh, it's great. If it falls over, I don't worry about it. It's awesome. So. Uh, so anyway, the, the next ones won't be water bottles. It'll be something else. But, uh, but that's what keeps it interesting. So we appreciate the premium thing. And, uh, and we certainly appreciate all of you that, that support us that way. And we also appreciate everybody that just listens. I mean, that, that, that's, that's what all of you do. And that's awesome. So thank you for that. If you want to send in audio comments and you don't want to email them to us, you can call us at 206-666-GEEK, which, John, is 433 Five? That's right. How else can they find us, John? Uh, we're on Facebook. Facebook.com slash MacGeekAb, where uh, you can see when the next show is, usually. <laughs> uh, or even have a little discussion. Uh, post some questions for other people, of uh, other members of the MacGeekAb community uh, to see and perhaps uh, help you with. Um, what else? Oh, of course, Twitter's. He is Dave Hamilton. I am John F. Braun. The podcast is Mac Geekab. The publication is Mac Observer. Fun. And uh, and you can. We are in the process of, of developing the next uh, version of it. Uh, but the existing version, obviously, is out there in the App Store and quite popular. Our Mac Geekab iOS app allows you to listen to the show. It allows you to bookmark sections of the show. It allows you to listen to the live stream if you want. Uh, and uh, and it allows you to send in feedback, audio comments or text comments right from your iPhone. So uh, so you can check that out too. That's yet another way to find us. And John, with that, I think we are. Uh, I think it's time to move on. I, I, before we do, of course, there's some people to thank. And uh, in addition to all of you, our listeners, I would like to thank Michael Johnston from uh, GetAppler.com. You heard from him last week. It was fun having him on the show. He converts the show, uh, our episodes, to AAC. For the uh, with all the enhanced chapters for you, so we like that. Also, Cashfly, C A C H E F L Y, provides all the bandwidth. And I do want to thank our sponsors, and I want to thank all of you that support our sponsors uh, by way of the show. But uh, I do want to thank our sponsors: Barebones Software with BB Edit and Yojimbo, Smile with Text Expander, PDF Pen, Disc Label, all that great stuff. Uh, PDF Scan, Gazelle.com, selling all your old I- iOS stuff and iPads and Macs off to them. And, of course, Squarespace with that coupon code MGG11 that we told you about earlier in the show. It's good stuff all through the Backbeat Media Podcast Network. John, I have one lasting piece of advice. Actually, I have two pieces, uh, two things I'd like to share. One is a, uh, a, 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 a wish that I have for all of our, yeah. our listeners, and, and one is a piece of, of lasting advice. The first is uh, that I hope you have a happy Thanksgiving.
And, uh, and if you don't celebrate Thanksgiving, I hope you have a happy Thursday because that's just how we roll here. And, uh, and then, uh, and then on top of that, John, I find it really important to, when you're celebrating Thanksgiving or otherwise, to spend some time making sure you don't get caught. Yeah. Made up.